It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to Oil Spills Podcast. My name is Derek Van Deest, sports reporter with Post Media. Alongside me is Jim Matheson and Rob Tichkowski. Both cover the Edmonton Oilers for Post Media. And today we're going to talk about basically the Vegas Golden Knights and whether this fairy tale um, is going to end uh, before, before midnight or it's actually going to come through. Vegas Golden Knights, they don't look like they're going to stop anytime soon they won game one six four they look like the same team every game they look they come at you and and they just seem to come at you in waves and i'll start with you jim what were your your impressions of, of game one against uh the washington capitals i don't think either team played very well i don't think either goalie played very well i think it looked like 2006 the orders playing the carolina hurricanes in the first mm-hmm. game which was a high scoring game too and both teams looked excited as hell to be there and then forgot all about checking anybody. And, you know, Vegas did what Vegas does. You know, they fall behind and then they score quickly and they win the hockey game. So, I, I, both teams are pretty good. I don't know, I don't see this going five games or anything like that. So, um, Vegas win? Absolutely. I think every, every round they're in, somebody picks the other guys. Yeah. L.A., San Jose, or Winnipeg, especially Winnipeg. So, they just keep, you know, trying to prove people wrong and so far they are the ultimate we'll show you we're a team mm-hmm. team and yeah. I I think if nothing else there's there's and as we brought up last time there's 30 you know 29 other general managers looking at Vegas and saying okay you are the poster boy for fast hockey and we better get faster or we're not being able we can't compete what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, any concern that there was going to be some straight stage fright was put to rest in that first game because they came out and did exactly what they've been doing all season and all through the playoffs. You know, they score first, and when you score, they respond really quickly, and they just play that Vegas hockey. So, uh, I mean, if they were, you know, they've walked through everybody they've played so far in the playoffs, and if uh, if the stage and the, and the occasion hasn't spooked them, which it doesn't look like it has, then there's no reason to believe they can't continue doing what they've been doing all year and all playoffs, and that's, you know, beat another really good team and win a Stanley Cup in their first year. It's an amazing story. Now, you've both been there. You've both seen the production. Before they even drop the puck, they have a, a big kind of stage production. They come out, and it's almost kind of like a little play. A lot of hockey purists don't like it. They just say, drop the puck, let's play. But what do you think of the production 
before the game, I guess, Rob. Oh, it's everything they do is it's just so much fun to be at that rink. Like, how many times do you go to a hockey game, though, here included, here, me, here especially? And it's just, you know, it's a boring game. And if the game isn't very good, then it's just like, wow, that wasn't, that wasn't a very good evening. You go to Vegas, and from the time you're, you know, 300 yards away from the building, the, the atmosphere is started. There's concerts, there's games, there's little barbecues, there's people, you know, wandering around in, in their sweaters. <clears throat> you get inside, and they just they make an effort to make it an, a complete night of entertainment on all fronts. And, and like I've said before, the, 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 you know, the theory that Canadian teams don't want to do that because we're highbrow and, and it's, you know, we don't need that to sell our hockey that's BS. It's just it's laziness. The, every fan who's watching that game in Vegas says, "Man, I wish we would have that here because it's a great time." Some of it was hokey. Michael Buffer, yeah, Michael Buffer was kind of cool, but he didn't need to introduce every player. Just yeah. do two teams and then get off there. If, you know, when the other guys are having to warm up because your your pregame ceremony is uh, a little over the edge. But hey, it's 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 something they tried it, and you know, ninety percent of what they do is they knock it out of the park. They're better at everything on the ice and off the ice than every other team in the NHL right now, and they've been in this league for six months. I like the Michael Buffer thing. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And, Jim, you've, obviously you've seen a lot of pregame productions. A, in a, when you've seen the sword fight more than once, it's a little <laughs> I have to, I have to yeah. admit, it's a yeah. little much. Yeah. You know, uh, but I enjoyed Michael Trakos's piece today you know, where he interviewed the, you know, the Golden Knights knight and, the, you know, <laughs> and you know, how he does it and stuff like that. It was an interesting thing. Uh, I do it, you know, there's no kiss cams, there's no contests, you know, guessing game contests where you get pizza for a month and yeah. Boston yeah. pizza. There's not, you know, there's none of those things that seem to be staples in, in, uh, in uh, Canadian. <laughs> you know, the best part about the Edmonton part is that Donnie Metz always does a pretty good job, you know, in, in his, with the players and stuff like that, you know, heading into the season. He's got them, you know, in good locations and stuff yeah. like that. It's interesting. But the, once the game starts, it's, you know, they just crank the music up as loud as you can. And I don't see a lot of Canadian fans sitting watching the warm-up, whereas every, you know, in Vegas they're all there watching a warm-up, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which is, it seems ridiculous. But um, I know the media people aren't watching the warm-up, but the fans are. So I, I, I enjoy it, and I, I hope that Canadian teams would do it. But you know what? They did hire somebody to be their head of direct, director of entertainment. Yeah. Because it's Vegas. I don't know how many Canadian teams got one of those guys. No. Those people where they said, you know what? That before the game is important too. And 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 during the game is important too. So I don't know. That's just another layer of what a hockey team well, should do. But it is Euler Entertainment Group yeah. right. running the uh, the Oilers now. So yeah. I see no reason why that arm can't... Uh, can't uh, be used. Well, that director of entertainment position in Edmonton would be the guy who's in charge of commercials. Like in, yeah. in, in Edmonton, it's how can we make money off the scoreboard and, and the TV breaks. In Vegas, it's how can we entertain the fans. And yeah. there's a staggering difference. You're sitting there on a commercial break and you're watching an ad for a food delivery service company and you're like, literally, I paid 200 bucks to get in this building and I got to watch a 30 second commercial during a timeout. Like, that's, I don't think it's right. Uh, I don't know what the fans feel about it, but there's a difference between Vegas and Canadian cities is is huge. I was That's the way it's to going. Mr. Juice founder too, Dale yeah. Wishua, and he was he was he says, you know what? He says I've been to playoff games and I've been to regular season games. He says it is an experience. It's the best sports experience going. And he has a friend who has worked for the Ducks and the Dodgers and is now going to be working in uh, sponsorship and corporate uh, stuff with the uh, L.A. Raiders or the Vegas Raiders mm -hmm. now, I guess. And he says it's the best thing he's ever seen too. So, and this is 
coming from a guy who's worked for several organizations. So he says it's uh, they put on a show, and he says the fan when he leaves the building is probably wiped out from all of the visual yeah. and the and the audio stuff that goes on, not just the stuff on the ice, but off the ice and. It, and uh, I used to think Nashville was really good too because they mm -hmm. had music and stuff between periods and stuff, in which you know nobody else had. But Vegas is something else. Well, it's it's kind of a shift because somehow with, with with the Oilers and some other Canadian teams, it's become almost when that game is not on, it's it's a chance to to, to pitch something, to right. sell something, yeah. and it's become almost like two and a half hour commercial yeah. during stoppages. And I think Vegas has gone and said they're not we're not we're not gonna pitch anything to these people. They've already played to get it paid to get in the building. We're gonna try and entertain these people. And I think that's maybe the difference between Vegas and, and everyone else right now. Now that may have been because it's the first year they've been in the league and they figured they had to entertain the people as well as put on a ice you know on ice product. Or it's just Vegas. You yeah, know. it's probably fifty half of half of each. Yeah. Now going, I guess, back to to the game to what happened on the ice. Um, there was a lot of, obviously a lot of talking points in that game, and and I'll start off with with Ryan Reeves' goal. Uh, cross check in front, knocks his guy down. He's wide open in front of the net. They score. Uh, just is it just one of those things? Was that just missed, or, or how how have you like? How does someone get away with a cross-check in front of the net to get open like that? It's just poor officiating. I've said it all along. The <laughs> National Hockey League officials are the worst in sports. And they don't, they're scared to make a call because it might impact the outcome of a game, but not making that call absolutely impacted the outcome of that game. Instead of you know taking a goal off the board and putting Reeves in the penalty box, it's a, it, it's a goal. And there's just, it was bizarre. Like, there's a two-handed cross-check that you knock the guy down. That's, that's the dictionary definition yeah. of cross-checking. You can say you know you want to let him play to some extent, but you know that resulted in 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 a, in a goal and the Wilson thing too. So everybody missed that at first. They yeah. had to huddle up and see that he hit a guy three and a half seconds after he passed the puck. But yeah, it's uh, I I don't like the way you know in the NFL if it's offside in the final seconds of a game, it's the it's offside or it's interference or whatever. For the most part, uh, they let a little hand fighting go. But in in hockey, it's just. The rules change based on the time of the game, the score of the game, the point of the season, the point of, the, and it's hard for everybody to keep track of it. You know, the players aren't really sure what you can get away with. The officials aren't really sure what you can call. The guys in, in, in player discipline don't really know what's suspendable or what's not suspendable anymore. Those rules change. It's uh, one giant moving target, and it results still a great game, but it's just a lot of confusion on those fronts. Well, what's your opinion on that? Because we've always said, as hockey guys, yeah, the rules change and everything's a bit more liberal in the third period, and and because they don't want to have, they don't want to basically have the winning goal scored on a power play. That's basically mm -hmm. what's going on here. But you're missing calls like that, Jim. That that to me seems like a blatant cross check in the back and resulted in a goal. Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> you miss cross checks. I yeah. mean, they happen. You know, and it was a penalty for yeah. sure. But that stuff happens. Uh, the Wilson hit was late. Yeah. Should have got, you know, at the least a two-minute penalty for interference. Because regardless of whether Marcia so was looking at that pass a little too long, he certainly was a late hit. He should have just, you know. The problem is there's two refs and two linesmen. Sometimes the linesman can see it, but he's not the ref. Yeah, you know, the linesman can can come over when the puck shot into the crowd to see if it's an, if it's mm -hmm. went off the glass or something but the the linesmen aren't supposed to be calling the penalties so uh, but the you know it was ridiculous you know they're all huddling to see if 
they missed something in Wilson hitting Marcia. So <laughs> when they really missed David Braun coming off the bench, yeah. <laughs> uh, which in a regular season game would be a 10-game suspension because you can't come off the bench. Yeah. Well, the other guy's down on all fours. So they missed that. They missed the interference. They missed the cross-check. <laughs> the worst of the, the funny thing is the best referee in the right. league is Wes McCauley, and he yeah. was doing the game. Yeah. So it's acknowledged that he's the best referee in the league. Yeah. And uh, and they missed him. So um, they didn't have a very good first game, and neither did either team, to be honest. But it, just didn't, you know, it was great for the fans. But I don't think either team played all that well. Either. No, it was an entertaining game, and, and I, I kind of feel bad for Washington because – uh, Mark Andre Fleury scored on himself. He stepped on the puck and put it in his own net, and you still weren't able to beat him. Right. But this 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 series, like any other series, is going to be dictated by goaltending. If they can't beat Mark Andre Fleury and 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 hope he's going to have to kind of elevate his game, is that going to determine the outcome of this series? In your opinion, Rob, could, could be like I mean, Fleury's still like you said he he got away with one maybe because yeah. he's going to have a game or two where he absolutely steals it, and those are still to come. I I, I think so. Uh, Holtby's also very good. He doesn't have uh, Fleury's body of work, obviously, but uh, if, if it's coming down to goaltending, you got to go with uh, the three-time Stanley Cup champ, who's who's been incredible uh, in these playoffs. And like I said, he's still got a couple of thefts left left in that bag. So if you're Washington, you know you gotta you gotta take care of business. You know, starting in Game Two, and then and then and and at home for sure because. You know, Fleury's been incredible these playoffs, and I don't see that changing just after one. I think it would probably be stronger after uh, because of what happened in game one. You can make the argument Fleury stole three out of four games against Winnipeg. Yeah. So how important is it for Washington to go back home with a split, or are they still not in bad shape? To I don't go think they care. They've, you know, they lost the first two games in Columbus and still won the series. So yeah. They've lost lots of games, you know, at home and on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, they've. They've had a long, lot of long series. It's not like they're thirteen and three like Vegas, where they win pretty much every night. So yeah. I don't think it matters much. I think Ovechkin has to play a whole lot better than he did the first game. I barely even noticed him. Uh, but you know, I think what happens, and sometimes in hockey, is it's it's just because you play well in one series or two doesn't mean you can play well in every series. Yeah, and you know, these guys are players too, and sometimes. You know, I guess they just expected Ovechkin would keep scoring every game, and he didn't play very well last game. But you know, he wasn't the only guy in Washington that didn't play all that well. So, and Vegas, I mean, they got three goals from the fourth line. So yeah, you know, the first line and the fourth line were good, and the second and third lines in Vegas didn't play all that great. Well, that's what I was going to say too. Is is the Vegas fourth line is absolutely killing. Washington's fourth line. Yeah. You didn't expect two goals from fourth line. You don't expect Ryan Reeves to just be scoring goals like that. You don't expect uh, guys like that. But is that just uh, a matter of the confidence that the coach is showing in that fourth line? Because he looks like even in that third period, he was kind of rolling, rolling his lines. Through. He did not. He did not shorten his bench. And I think is, is that just a matter of confidence when your fourth line says, "Hey, I, we get to play some minutes here in the third period." Yeah. I don't think he's this guy. That's why the players love him. He doesn't shorten his bench. Yeah, he plays four lines. Now the fourth line guys might only get twelve minutes, but that's a lot more minutes than a lot of fourth line players yeah. get in the NHL. And he doesn't shorten his bench, so you know, and he rewards his players if they did something good offensively. What is he suddenly just going to keep playing the first line? And, yeah, and the second line with yeah. Alec with Tuck and and those sort of people on it. I yeah. don't think so. So. Well, that goes a long way, Rob. When, well, when it you just it, it, and it improves you as a player if you're getting if you're getting those reps and you're playing all the time. Like how many fourth liners over the over the ages have played 
five six minutes a game you're not getting any better as a player in in that uh in that formula so if, he, if he's rolling all four lines for the entire season over the course of the season the guys on that fourth line are getting more touches they're getting more ice time they're just becoming better players and then you know by extension if you keep rolling in the playoffs your, your guys are going to be fresher you know if they're going three and you're going four then you're 25 percent fresher than they are yeah. and over the playoffs and over a long series it, it adds up and that's why you know, Vegas just keeps coming at you in swarms and waves. Everybody's fresh. Everybody can skate. Everybody's in it together. Everybody's playing their system, and that's why they're hard to beat. It's, uh, you know, Ovi's kind of like, you know, the LeBron James. He has a much better supporting cast, but to a, to a great extent, you know, he's their guy, whereas Vegas comes at you with 12 forwards. Now, I see this series as guy uh, Vegas as a team that has absolutely nothing to lose. They're not supposed to be here. They're a team of cast-offs. They're just going out there and playing. While Washington, though, there's always been these expectations mm-hmm. on Washington. They're supposed to be here for the second or third or fourth time by now. This is their first time here. In saying that, Jim, is all the pressure on Washington in this series? Uh, I don't know. I think there's more pressure to beat Pittsburgh yeah. than there is in the Stanley Cup final. I think it would be heartbreaking to get this far for guys like Ovechkin after all the disapp- and Baxter after all the disappointments to finally get to the Stanley Cup final and lose to an expansion team. Yeah. You know, in their first year in the league, that would be kind of crushing. Um, I, I think Washington and San Jose have a lot in common. San Jose made the finals, and everybody said, oh, they finally got to the finals. They didn't win. Yeah. Now, they can say they got to the finals, but they still look like a team that's good but can't get over the hump. So, house money, I guess, LA's, or Vegas is using, you know, is using house money. But I, I, I think once you get to the Stanley Cup final, both teams it would be hugely disappointed if they don't win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. I think you've, you've got this far, you've played three rounds of tough hockey, and you get this far and you don't win. I mean, that would be a crushing disappointment. Yeah. Well, what about Ovechkin? Are you on the uh, let's win one for Ovechkin type thing? or what is, How much would that mean, I guess, for... I, I personally would like to see Ovechkin win, and I like him as, as, a, as, a, as a player and a person. And I just... You know, Poor Washington, they finally make it to the Stanley Cup final. They might lose to an expansion yeah. team. Yeah. Like you got to be kidding me. You, you beat Pittsburgh, you beat, you know, a really great Tampa team and here you are, you're going to lose to, you know, these sisters of the poor, but uh, uh from 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 the Vegas standpoint, like if if they make the playoffs, you know, they can, you know, or lose in the first round, they can say, "Well, it was a great year. We can, you know, we can really celebrate what we accomplished if that happens in the first or second. At this point of the at this point of the drive, right now they're all just hockey players who've been chasing this thing their entire life, and now they're three goals away from a Stanley Cup. So, I think inside of there, inside of them, it's burning as as hot as it's ever going to be. Because mm. who knows how this thing, what happens with them next year, how long this thing can kind of keep perpetuating. But you're on that stage, you're three games away, and you've been playing hockey all your life. Uh, you you want this really really badly. And I think we fail to realize that they're individuals playing right now. Yeah. The Derek Engelins and, yeah. and those sort of guys who are thirty years old, James Neal, David Perron, you know, you know, they're old too. They just happen to be in a new team, yeah. And they've been playing a long time too, and they've they've never won a Stanley Cup, so they're not they're not about to throw this one away. Well, we were all three of us were in that dressing room when the Oilers lost Game Seven of the two thousand six Stanley Cup, and I I don't recall like it was depressing being in it. Like it was it was heartbreaking. Those guys just sat there. They were all still in their equipment. They had, none of them had taken their equipment off. It was just so 
you know what it means to to get to here and, and to lose. I guess that would be the, the, the uh, it'd be a crushing defeat for whoever team loses. It's, you get that sense. You put in like it is the hardest playoff run in sports by a mile. Like after the eighty-two game grind, you have this tournament that is the most grueling, physically demanding, punishing sporting event in all of sports. And then you sit there and and because of you know two goals, it was literally all for nothing. You yeah. put in all that effort and it's you don't you don't even get a silver medal. You go home you lost they won yeah so you you get nothing from it it's just and you might not ever get that chance again like you know that was 12 years ago the others haven't had a sniff since a lot of the players on that team never played another game in the league like this is it for you so uh it's i can't imagine how heartbreaking it is when it's something that means that much to you and is that close is taken away and you're left with literally nothing yeah. like especially losing in game seven of the yeah Stanley Cup exactly. if you lose in five Something you, you realize, okay, the other team was better. Right. But when it's seven, yeah. we're both good, and for whatever reason, we didn't win. They get the extra home game. They won. But, you know, and it's, it's total demoralization, I'm sure. Now looking at game two, and I guess no one's been able to figure this out, but what does Washington have to do to kind of slow down? Because Vegas seems to, every mistake that you make ends up in your net. Every time you, you kind of miss an assignment, they, they seem to exploit it. So what does Washington have to do? to kind of keep from that happening against them in, in Game 2, Jim? Washington needs some power plays. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they're really good on the power yeah. play. They didn't get, you know, if they get f- four power plays, they're going to score a goal. Yeah, They're just really good on the power play. Vegas has the ability to not take a lot of penalties. They check the s- snot out of you, but they don't take a lot of penalties. Yeah. So um, they got to score first. Vegas scores first almost every game. Yeah. Washington has to score first, has to get a couple of power plays. I'd, I'd see no reason why Washington won't win the game tonight, myself, 4-2 or something like that, um, because I think both teams are evenly balanced, and I don't, you know, I, don't, I don't see one team being way better than the other one. But Vegas' bounce-back ability, even in oh. game one, okay, you think, okay, this is it. They, they, you know, they, yeah. They've gone down. They were able, and the, what it, what amazes me is that the, how quickly they were able to get that tying goal. Like even Winnipeg yeah. would go up a minute later, <laughs> Vegas would come back, and and, and it just they seem to have that resiliency. They're not if, if they go down, they just well, we'll just go back and score the tying goal. Yeah, not only do they have that 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 skill level and that speed, but they just have that uh, internal intestinal fortitude that mm-hmm. you know it, all these intangibles that you can't really you know you can't really. Uh, quantify yeah. they they have that ingredient that just these mongrels won't be beaten and that's all there is to it you score we're, we're coming back to score so if you're washington you just you you have to have puck possession don't they're too good with it you can't dump it in because their defensemen retrieve it and turn it around and send it the other way you have to skate it over the line which is trouble you know for all, all, all you know coaches don't like that but you have to have the puck on your stick as much as you can because when they have it they're good with it yeah. now if vegas does go on to win the stanley cup we, I think we've talked about this before. How does the rest of the league look at that? Does that just look really, really bad on the other 30 GMs in the league, or is this just one of those things that they just caught lightning and they, 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 everything they did kind of turned into gold type thing? They better not say, oh, they got so many good players. Yeah. That's what I The hindsight <laughs> I mean, argument. The fan yeah. is saying that, oh, yeah. they got such so many good players compared to the other expansion teams. I mean – is there a top four defenseman they picked up in the expansion draft? No. How many top six forwards did they pick up? Marcia So and James Neal. Mm-hmm. Carlson went the last 45 games last year and didn't score a goal. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I think they look at it and say, if anything, okay, this is how the game is played now because it's a copycat league. When L.A. was winning, we've got to get bigger. Yeah. Uh, when Boston won, got to get bigger and snarlier. Yeah. These guys win because they can really skate, and I know that's the buzzword in today's NHL, the game so fast and stuff like that, but they can really skate fast and think fast. And I think it's a blueprint for the players you draft now, and it's a blueprint for the players you want to sign in the summer. You're not signing too many players who can't skate to long-term contracts if it's a free agent, and you're looking at players in the in the draft, and you're not you're you're picking 175 pound players who can really skate, not the big power forward who's in junior and he weighs 210 and <coughs> he's six foot three. But his, his skating ability is such that you go, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Rob, what do you think? Should the other GMs be embarrassed by this? Oh, definitely. I mean, th- you shouldn't be able to just walk in off the street and and you know take the turn an expansion team into into a, a champion. But I think from the from the owner's perspective, I mean, this league's going to have about forty teams in it within the next fifteen <laughs> years because if you're a, if you're a prospective sports owner, you're looking at what Vegas just happened and you know five hundred mil, and I could I could have a contender. You just steal that model, like yeah. you know, they're how they how they assemble that team. It'd be tar- it'd be hard, tough to do it again, but you will be competitive. What they're doing off the ice, you can immediately have a decent product where you're not sitting there for the first five or six years, you know, last place and hoping to, you know, maybe five or six years from now make the playoffs. You the model is in place now, and if they leave the <clears throat> the expansion draft formula the way it is, you you know, it seems like a decent investment buying an NHL team right now. We all saw the expansion draft, and we saw the list of names there. We said, Marc-Andre Fleury, one of the best goalies in the world. So that, that's a good starting point. Yeah. We said, Marshall, surprise for all to let him go. But then you look at, like Jim said, William Carlson, Riley Smith, Alex Tuck, Eric Halla, uh, James Neal, David Perron, Cody Eakin. Those names didn't jump out at you as top-end guys. No. So how are they kind of molding this together? Well, because... They're solid professionals that they took. Yeah. You know, the the Perrons and the Neils, the Eakins. And stuff. They're solid professionals who know how to play. Uh, you know, and the next expansion draft is going to be 650, yeah. 650 million. So the, the teams are going to get, you know, 20 million a team at least. So they're not, the, the, the teams can't go and bellyache and say, right. oh, you guys got so many good players now. We're not. We should be able to protect more players next time around. That's not going to be how it yeah. works. In fact, for another 150 million, they should be saying you got you can protect one fewer player yeah. uh, for another 650. Uh, you know, I they're doing it because they play the team game better than most of the teams in the league do. A lot of teams yeah. in the league have stars. They don't have stars. They don't have a guy. They don't have Connor McDavid. They don't have a guy making twelve million, eight million. Now next year, when the contracts are up for a lot of these players, suddenly they're going to be getting a lot more money. Yeah. And we'll see how they play when they get the six-year contract mm-hmm. for six, seven million dollars. But that's one of the th- one of the, the reasons they are. They don't have high-end players that they've signed and have to play. And they, but they were the way the draft was formulated. They were getting like the seventh or eighth best mm-hmm. skater on each team. Well, you look at every team in the league. The seventh or eighth best forward is typically a guy who thinks the game really well, is very responsible, and probably has more offensive upside, but doesn't get a chance because he's they have you know higher paid guys ahead of him. And 
you load up your team with really smart guys who you know just need a chance and who think the game really well and are determined guys who hustle all the time like typical you know third liners are you can put it you can put together a pretty good team with that this does not bode well for the Edmonton Oilers now the Edmonton no. Oilers have two high-end guys one making 12 and a half one making eight and a half and then bunch of guys making six so the, this formula is completely opposite of the direction the Edmonton Oilers are going so what yeah, they're not the only team there's lots of teams like you know Chicago yeah they're paying Kane and Taves ten and a half million a year and Seabrook eight something so yeah. they're not the only team in that boat but you're right um, I think what it, it what it, it's gonna happen is they'll still have a few high-end players making lots of money mm-hmm. but it'll be a major drop-off in mm-hmm. the salaries of the other players. Yeah, they're gonna There'll just be a whole lot of two million dollar players yeah. now, not four million dollar yeah. players. Yeah, they're gonna just have to try and win it a different way. They can't copy Vegas now, not with you know thirty two million dollars tied up in four guys. Yeah, you know, it's it's not gonna happen. They're gonna have to come at you really heavily with the top end of their lineup, and then hopefully the 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 second or the third and fourth lines will just kind of hold their own. But they're not gonna be able to roll four equal lines at you because the. The back end of their lineup is going to be a lot of guys making minimum wage. Well, that's basically the formula Chicago took. They had a, a bunch of high-end guys, yeah. and they would jettison the Played guys. Played forever. Yeah. Feel, and now I think they're starting to, to, to feel that uh, once those guys get older, they're not producing as much. Um, it's insane that, Jim, do you think the Oilers can fill enough holes, enough gaps to, to become a playoff contender next year? Oh, well, they'll be a playoff contender next year. I don't think the – all those players who had poor years are all going to have poor years yeah. next year. I think there's a good nucleus in Edmonton. I think they, I think they need some. They need a right winger, a veteran yeah. right winger. I don't, you know, I don't know where Peter Shirelli is going to get that, but mm-hmm. they need a top six right winger, uh, and they need, you know, we keep saying he needs some, some more help in the bottom six too. Um, he's got lots of. They got a. a, a a better team than most teams do, but they also have to play the game a heck of a lot faster yeah. than they did this past season, figuring that that last year's, you know, the team that lost to Anaheim would be good enough. I just don't think they played the game. I don't think they fought the game very well. Yeah. Fast enough. And can't get the puck out of their end fast enough. And you watch the way Vegas plays, for the, pretty much it's north-south. It's not in your end. Very, you know, the defenseman passes it to his partner maybe once, mm-hmm. and then it's it's you know a, a fifteen footer along the boards to a guy waiting for it. Bang! It's into the neutral zone, and away you go. And I think that's been a problem for the Oilers for several years. You know, they they spend too much time in their end of the ice. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you see them fixing this problem? Trying to turn this around. It's I think I think a lot of what they're crossing their fingers is about as uh, all the players who had those off years last year you know Talbot uh, Kajula to just ev- everybody frankly other than McDavid and maybe Nugent Hopkins that that they somehow rebound and that was just a, just an aberration and they they kind of get back to where they were uh, two years ago when they made the playoffs and then beyond that I do think you have to add some experience up front somebody who can somebody who shoots the puck they have they pass it around forever and ever on their power play and just in all in all elements of their offense, you just need somebody who wants to sh- throw the puck at the net. And uh, like I said, I think there's not a lot of there's not a lot of movement to be made here with the salary cap the way it is. They don't have a lot of assets that, if I was an opposing GM, I would want to give up a whole bunch to get. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have to be internal internal development, and then you know trying to hit those, you know, <clears throat> not lucky shots, but shrewd 
subtle trades where you bring in a guy that you know doesn't make a lot of headlines, doesn't make a ton of money, but oh wow, he's he's contributing, you know, fairly well to this to this team. So I think that's the route they have to go. I don't see a lot of big moves left other than you know trading Tan and then another player along with that, which is um, I'm really not sure they're going to go down that road either. So I don't see a whole bunch of outs to be honest with you. I think the general manager is 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 up against the wall here. Yeah. He's general managers have to think long term. This general manager has to think shorter term mm-hmm. because his contract is, you know, if they play as poorly next year as they do did this year with the players he's got, he won't have a job. Well, he doesn't have anyone else to blame or he painted himself in this corner. Yeah. Right. It's not like he inherited this team and he inherited a team and then jettisoned a bunch of guys and then brought in other guys and now he finds himself painted in a corner. Sticking with the orders, though, we haven't had a chance to talk about the coaching changes because we knew where they were coming. We knew they were coming. Everybody knew the three that were coming and, and the three that not have landed here. Does How does that help this team or does it help this team or is it just another shuffling of the deck? It's an incredible coup. Like the, To be honest, like the, if you look at the three biggest names that were available in the offseason, mm-hmm. they got them all. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Like I, I'm not sure I guess I am sure you you know the coaching Connor McDavid and you know in a building or whatever how how they got everybody but uh, they go from having three assistant coaches none of whom would be considered for head jobs anywhere else in the NHL to having three assistant coaches who would be considered for head jobs mm-hmm. in the NHL and that's a that's a massive upgrade um, you know these, the players still have to play that's that's the key you can't coach skill into somebody but. Uh, it's it's a it's a big positive step. I don't know to what extent it'll it'll impact what we see on the ice, but it, it's got to have some sort of effect. Jim, can you have too many cooks in the kitchen, though? Uh, I don't know. I, I I'm always not sure when you hire three assistant coaches what the third assistant coach does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they have to use Manny Vibrios more than than perhaps Ian Herbers got used because Ian suddenly was just in the press box yep. and just watching the games and it's you're not close to the action when you're in the press box for every game sitting next to the goalie coach yep. so I think you know I think they brought in maybe the best penalty killing coach in the league and Trent Johnny his teams are you know the last seven years have been in the top five five of those seven years so he does a great job with penalty killing and he's done some, a really good job with young defensemen so mm-hmm. I think that's fine, and you know, it sounds like they're gonna have two guys running, looking at the power play, Gullison mm-hmm. and Fabrios. So yeah. um, it's hard to believe that the Oiler power play would be worse than the penalty killing, but it was last <laughs> yeah. year. I mean, the penalty killing got better in the you know from January on. Mm-hmm. It was quite a bit better, but the power play never got better. So yeah. I, you know, I don't, you know, even if they, even if they get to where they're fifteenth in both, yeah. I mean that's that's gonna that could win them another I don't know ten games. Mm-hmm. I mean, look yeah. at how many games they lost last year with their penalty killing at home. Yeah. In the first you know three months of the season where they're giving up at least one goal every game at home. Yeah. Having a guy like Kessler makes a big difference in a coach's yeah. PK oh, resume. Too. Well, and they had they, they have very Kessler good Cogliano, very yeah. good guys very good face-off guys yeah. in Anaheim, so they win a lot of face-offs, yeah. and uh, which which certainly helps. Now you. Rob, you talked to Glenn Gullickson. Um, what was his appeal to coming in? 
uh, apart from the fact that it's a job. But th- there must have been other yeah. opportunities out there for him. Or sure, he, he's well, he's from Calgary, so he yeah. literally doesn't have to move. <laughs> like yeah. his daughter is going into grade twelve. This will be her final year of high school, so the family can stay in Calgary. Yeah. The commute is really easy. Uh, he think he sees what you know the Oilers kind of see is that this team just hit a hit a bump in the road last year, and they'll be back to the team that they were a couple of years ago, and everybody said they were approaching a Stanley Cup window and uh, he's, he's buddies with Todd like I, I, I asked him specifically like what is the dynamic here of you know it, it almost looks like you're here to take over for Todd if he gets fired 25 games into the season and he's like you know that's that isn't the case we've, we've all talked about that we're all in this together we're 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 trying to find a way to win and if, and if this team wins and goes deep then everybody's ship rises right then you know i he could, they'll all be getting head coaching offers elsewhere. It doesn't need to be here. So it sounds like the dynamic is going to be okay. That they're all they all know each other, like not really closely, but you know, Saskatchewan boys, right? You know, you know what that that yeah. club is like. That if you're around kind of guys that you know and buddies, you can talk freely, and nobody's going to get their feelings bent out of shape. Todd is still, as John Gotti always said, the boss is the boss is the boss. Yeah. So you can have as many cooks as you want. At the end of the day, Todd's a strong enough guy. He's like thanks for the input you know we'll consider it and he will consider it if he, if he thinks he can make it better but i don't think he'll be in a position where he's his feelings are hurt or he's he's feeling pressure to to do other things so i think uh, it sounds like the dynamic could work it sounds like they're all you know wanting it to work i'm sure they do so we'll we'll see how it goes uh, jim you spoke with manny viveros and what does he bring to the table i guess uh a fresh face yep. who hasn't been in the nhl yeah uh but is from Edmonton and certainly knows the history of the Oilers and as a, is, was a terrific offensive defenseman in junior and his teams play offensive-minded as well. So I think that's what he'll be used for. I think on the power play, I think he'd be good. And, um, you know, he's, I always think that Manny's younger than he is, but yeah. he's the same age as... He's 52. He's fi- as <laughs> Trent Yanni, so yeah. who's been around the NHL forever. Yeah. So... There's no 35-year-olds on this staff, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. But it's a very established team. And I think Glenn Gulletson looked at the order and says, of any team in the NHL that I know apart from the Calgary Flames, I know the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. You know, I coached against right. them for two straight years. So I know the Oilers. Yeah. I know the players on the team because we used to have to play against them. So I, th- I think in his case, it's not like he's taking some job in the East where he doesn't really know the team he's going to or the, the caliber of teams he's playing against and he also was an assistant coach in in Vancouver so he knows the order so that was a, a nice move for him and Yanni he's worked for Todd already yeah and uh you know been very successful so and Manny I, like I said I think Manny will go in a little awestruck at first this guy doesn't have NHL credentials mm-hmm. like the other so the players will be looking at him a little differently than they would the other two guys yeah and so he's gonna have to get some relationships going mm-hmm. quickly and what he should be doing is he should be taking you know I don't think Ethan Bear is going to make the team I think he'd be back in junior but that's the kind of player that Virio should be ge- taking a hold of and says I was an offensive defenseman who was small you're a short offensive defenseman too and maybe we can get something going or take Matt Benning and say I think he can do this a little bit better offensively so I think that's what he'll do. I like having two coaches that were division rivals, so yeah. they can come into the thing and say, "Listen, Todd, this is what we saw in your team. These are the weaknesses. This is how we game plan to beat the Edmonton Oilers." So it's just a, it's like 
having the other teams open their playbook to you, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's going to be huge, right? Yeah. Because teams really don't really know their deficiencies, but other teams try to exploit its deficiencies. Yeah, right. So they can tell them, well, this is what we saw. This is why your power play didn't yeah. work. Because sometimes you see what you want to see or you have your favorites or you're kind of, you know, colorblind to certain areas. Gullitson and, and Yanni will walk in and say, well, we capitalize on this guy because he's weak. Yeah. And he's no good. So, and it might be one of Todd's guys, right? So it's uh, those discussions will be very valuable because you can see what other teams are doing to beat the Oilers, which was a pretty common thing. Yeah. I, I wish the Oilers had more good young players almost ready to play yeah. so they could push some of the players on the current mm-hmm. Oilers roster. But if you've got a spot on the Oilers roster from last year, you're on the team again. Yeah. I mean, it's not like suddenly three forwards are going to be looking over their shoulder going, oh, this guy's going to be taking my job, right. unless they sign couple of free agents this summer right. uh a jay beagle or a matt calvert or somebody right. like that where you're looking over your shoulders oh this guy could take my job yeah. i wish there was a little more yeah. pressure i wish they had a better farm system of more guys ready to come up and play yeah which yeah. would would be an improvement because then they're on entry-level contracts making a lot less money and they can make the squad and then you get rid of some players who make mm-hmm. more money well, that's what they're going to have to do, right? Now that they have, they have such high-end salaries, they're going to have to yeah. fill those third and fourth-line spots with guys that are, they drafted. It'd be interesting to see how much they give Darnell Nurse in a new deal. Yeah, I mean, I know what his agent's looking at. His agent is saying, okay, um, this Ristolainen signed for this in, in Buffalo, 5.4 a year at something, and this Mike Matheson signed for 4.9 in Florida. So that's what my guy's worth. Yeah. You know, kept young guy. And the owners are looking at it going, ah, I don't know. He hasn't even played 200 NHL games yet. Like, I don't know if the, I, I don't even know if the owners know what Darnell Nurse is going to be yet. I, is he a top pairing defenseman? Is he just a shutdown defenseman? I mean, if I'm the owners, I'm just going to him and say, I know we'd like to sign you to a long-term contract, but we have an internal cap at the present time, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you should be making more than Clefbaum and 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 uh, you know Adam Larson are making. Yeah, they're a little bit older. They play more games. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell go tell them you know, bet on yourself, kid. Two yeah. years, come back. And two years a at, at seven million, say for two years, and then show us that you're worth uh, you know for a seven year contract you're worth. 5.4 a year. And if and if he does, then they're in big trouble because he'll be commanding this this huge salary. He'll be like, don't! We should have signed him when he was well, uh, you unproven. Know, like, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's, I think for the most part, the guys who make bigger money as defensemen in this league are offensive or yeah. have some offensive bent to them. Yeah. And if they're, if they're perceived to be second pairing shutdown guys, they make about $4 million. Yeah. They don't make five and a half. <laughs> Well, in closing, uh, let's go back. I'm not sure if our predictions will change, but just going back, Rob, uh, who's going to win the Stanley Cup this year? Uh, I, I, it's going to be a great series. I think yeah. by the by the time it's all said and done, it'll it'll it, it might go seven. But I'm just I've lost a lot of pools and a lot of money betting against Vegas, so it, it stops here. I'm going <laughs> to pick the Knights to win it. Jim, same Vegas. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I I've kept thinking Vegas was going to, okay, yeah. they were going to lose the first round, they're going to lose the second round. Winnipeg I, for sure. Winnipeg for sure. I thought once the intensity of the playoffs was going to ramp up, yeah. everyone was going to catch up, but uh, it doesn't seem that way, so I'm picking Vegas to win this series in six games. 
Yeah. Um, so on behalf of Jim Matheson and Rob Tichkowski, I'm Derek Van Easton. Thank you for tuning in. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.